I believe that women, generally speaking, and mothers in that mix as well, are a formidable force in the earth for good. Amen? And as Jack said, the heart and the soul of the planet. God has put innately something in the beautiful creation when he made women that nurtures, protects, loves, encourages, affirms, grows. And I could go on and on and on again. And when women gather and when women do what they do best, amazing things happen in the planet. So I could go on about that, but we have a message this morning to bring. We're here to celebrate motherhood. We're here to celebrate grandmothers and great-grandmothers. And we're here to celebrate those that serve as mothers as well. For we recognize the spiritual mothers in our midst. We recognize the mothers that have taken on someone else's children, whether they're foster mothers or stepmothers. And they're doing that role and giving their life for that. So we applaud that. And we thank God for you today. Amen. You know, when I entered into motherhood, I thought I was as prepared as I could possibly be. I mean, you know, I had a mother. (laughs) And I was also, I worked at the library, and I read the whole section on mothering and childcare and everything on a couple shelves of books. I read them all, and I even ordered one to take home because I thought it was the best of them all. It had all the details. Well, these little people don't come with instructions stamped on their bottom. Don't you wish? And I found myself sitting there in my rocking chair with the light on with a crying baby, flipping through that book going, what do I do now? (laughs) Because, you know, there's no easy answers. It's not an easy task being a mother. It's not an easy task raising children. And none of us get it perfect. Let me just say that from the outset. I'm going to bring to us the word of God and set a standard for what we do, but we do it without an attitude of condemnation or saying, you have to be this. It's just something we want to aim for. And when we get it right, good on you. And when we get it wrong, let's get forgiveness and let's start all over again. And let's just keep on going, doing what God has entrusted us to do. You know, what works for one child doesn't always work for the next. How many know that? You think you got it all figured. We all practiced on the first one. If you have more than one, you think you know, you think you got it. And then the second one comes, and you're like, I don't know. This isn't working. What do I do here? We cry out to God. We ask him for his wisdom. We ask him for his help. We so need that. And, you know, I love the fact that we are a community of believers because we also can lean on the help of each other. We have our young families ministry that you can just, you know, with people right on the same journey where you are. We even, I don't know if you know, but Pastor Sonia has taken on the young adults. And not only is she able to minister to that generation, she's a mother of that generation. So if you've got young adults, she's a resource for you too, you know, because she has two beautiful young men and a teenager. So, you know, it's all happening. And, you know, there's the, the wealth of resource in an older generation that we don't sit and, and speak condemnation and say, oh, when I was young, I did it. I shake our finger at you. We go, oh, darling, I understand. I get it. I've been there. You keep going. You just keep trying. And, you know, sometimes we can ask those questions. What did you do? And you can hear some wisdom and maybe it helps you. Whatever. We're here to encourage you today and to cheer you on in what you're doing. Let's pray together as we begin to look at God's word. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much that your word just tells us how to live, shows us what to do, encourages us, corrects us, keeps us in the path. 
And Lord, I pray that we humble ourselves before your word today, that our hearts would be open to everything that you say to us. Lord, I just pray that each person who hears today would be able to take those things on board that you speak into their lives directly, and that, Father, you would let the seed of your word bear good fruit in their lives. Father, we pray we'd go from this place stronger, more in love with you, and more purposed in the path that you've given us to walk. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we've got this theme, you are my sunshine, and we just heard this beautiful song, Cover Me With Sunshine. What that speaks to me about is an environment for growth. An environment for growth. You know, when we have winter, we're going, we're in autumn, we're going into winter and the plants are all starting to to settle down, the leaves are coming off the tree and they're going on for a bit of a sleep. But when the springtime comes, when the sunshine comes and fills the earth, you know, new life comes, new flourishing comes. Seeds pop up that have been dormant all winter long and new growth comes. What we wanna provide is an environment of growth and flourishing for our children. And that's what I wanna talk about, the sunshine that we can place over our kids' lives. We all desire the best for our kids, and we wish every day was filled with sunshine, don't we? Every path that they walked would be perfect, no stones to trip them up, no dangers in the way. We all wish for that, and we all want for that. We wish that we could protect and cover our children all the days of their lives. That's our heart, but that's not life. And we live on planet Earth, and so we can protect them as much as possible protect them with our guidance, with our love, with our watch care, with our prayers, but we also have to protect them by preparing them for life. We protect by preparing them, helping them get ready so that they know how to face life, how that they have an inner resilience and a resolve and a true north in their life that they know how to conduct themselves, how to live life. If we can instill that in them from the earliest of their days, then when they get out on life on their own, and some of them very early, one of mine left home at 18, uh, then they can do life. They can do what they need to do. We just have such a comparatively short time to have them in our homes and to do that. And every precious day of their life is something that we want to pour our lives into. When we have them in our home and near our hearts, they're so precious and they're so special to us and we tell them that. Most parents says, how you do? You just say, I love you so much, you're so special. But you know when they go out the door, when they go to live life on their own, that world that they step into is not gonna say, oh, you're so precious, oh, you're so special. No, they're gonna go out into a world that they're gonna actually have to prove their worth and their value. And if they have some false concept there, then they're gonna be very shocked. But if they have a reality concept, if embedded into their souls is the worth that they have through Jesus Christ, then when the world pushes its ugliness on them, they'll know who they are. And they may have to dust themselves off and pick themselves up again, but they can. And so we protect them by preparing them for life. They'll be challenged on every hand. There'll be influences that will try to lead them astray into the wrong ways. But if we deposit the principles of God's word and God way, God's ways into them from an early age, they can do it. We need an example to follow and we, we can be that example to 
our children as parents, showing them how to live. But as parents, what is our example? Who do we look to? How do we pattern our lives? What are we supposed to do to know how to do this seemingly huge task of raising a child from birth to adulthood? Well, I want to point us to our Heavenly Father because he's the perfect parent and he does things so well. And obviously we can't be God or as good as God or perfect like God, but we can look to his character we can look to the way he treats us as his children and find an example, and we'll read a scripture for that in a moment. But I wanna just highlight the fact that um, sometimes we have a false concept of God as Father. And this is a teaching that we do repeatedly on our encounters, which by the way, they're coming up in June, one for the men and one for the women. And so watch those dates, I'd really encourage you to be on that. But on Encounter, we talk about what is God like? because too many of us have a false concept of God. It may have been the way we were raised or things that happened to us, or maybe we've just never had a a clear understanding of how the scriptures describe God. We may have had him described to us through media or someone else's terrible experience, and we don't, even if we've come to him in faith, we don't actually trust him. And we have this emotional distancing between us and God because we have a false idea who he is like, that he's not always loving us unconditionally, and that we have to perform for him, or many other things that come in our way. And so if we're going to be an example to our children, we need to know what God is like for ourselves. We need to know that for their sake, but we need to know it for our own sake as well. We have got to get this right. Some people just struggle through life with that having a false concept of God and it hinders their growth with him and they stay in a sort of a relationship that's shaky, even though it's not shaky on his end, it's shaky on our ends because we're not really sure can we trust him, does he love us? Well, God is a good God and if we can learn to believe that unconditionally uh, that it's true and get that right, then we can really experience the joy and the freedom that he has for every one of this. Ephesians, the the, the church in Ephesus, ancient Ephesus, they needed an example to look to. And Ephesians chapter four, Paul talks about their old life, what they once were, and now their new life. You were once this, now you're this, and you're renewed, and you're changed. And in Ephesus, they had no idea. They did not have a concept. It was a pagan city. Diana was worshiped, the goddess Diana, and all the horrible cultic practices that went with that. And they had no concept of a good and loving father. And so they had to be re-educated. They had to have a change of mind and a change of culture. And so when we read chapter four of Ephesians, Paul's talking about all these changes that need to happen. And then we come to the first verse of chapter five, which I'll read in just a second. And it's actually a continuation of his thought because you know when we change chapters, it's not a continuation, it's not a change of thought, it's just a change of chapter so that we can find it in our Bibles. But the thought continues and Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, verse one and two, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. 
The Phillips translation says, as children copy their fathers, you as God's children are to copy him. You live your lives in love, the same sort of love which Christ gives us and which he perfectly expressed when he gave himself up for us in sacrifice to God. So in a culture that there were few examples to emulate, Paul said, here's the example. It's God himself. It's God the Father. And he says, to imitate him, to act like him, do like he does, be like he is. He is your example. So we're not perfect, but God is perfect. And we can look to him and say, I wanna be like you. I wanna do like you. I wanna love like you, Father. Fill my heart with your love. Fill my heart with your wisdom. Fill my heart with your ways. You know, children love to imitate their parents. Have you ever watched Simon and his son Elliot here on this platform? Have you ever seen that? The curly hair holds the guitar like his dad, stomps his little foot like his dad. Like, it's just like perfect imitation. And you know, that's how we're supposed to be to our Heavenly Father. We're supposed to look at him and go, I want to be like you. I want to do like you. Help me to be a parent like you parent me, God. And when I fail, I can look back up to my example and go, okay, I'm gonna try this again. We can continue to change. We can continue to grow and continue to imitate him in every way. And if you have experienced the love and grace of God for yourself, then you know the environment that you can flourish in. So this is the environment we want to bring to our children. So I wanna talk to you about the environment to flourish in, the sunshine that we can put over our children's lives. And so I want to speak to us on three flourishing environments, and they are these. Consistent love, continual grace, and purposeful discipline. I'll say them again. Consistent love, continual grace, and purposeful discipline. Let's speak first about the environment of consistent love. Ephesians chapter five, verse two. We spent a long time on this scripture. I think you probably have it memorized. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. So this is a love that is consistent. It's not a sometimes is and sometimes is not. It's an always kind of love. In Ephesians chapter three, verses 17 and 18, it says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, and your roots will go, grow down into God's love and keep you strong. But anyone, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love, I'm sorry, I, I skipped down. Let me go back and do that again. This is a do-over, everyone. Ephesians 3, 17 through 18, and then 1 John 4, 7. Okay, when Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Two things in that passage of scripture. Our roots, that means the thing that not only stabilizes us, but what sustains us. That's what roots do for a plant. They stabilize the plant, and they sustain the plant. 
And if we're to be strong, and if our kids are to be strong, then roots need to go deep down into the love of God. And then he says that all people should understand how wide, long, high, and deep his love is. I think that probably the majority of my life I have lived with a superficial knowledge of the love of God. And you know, that reflects back into how I live, how I conduct myself, and how I relate to other people. So if you want a deepening of your relationship in your home and in your family, then get your own deep relationship with God. Let your roots go down deep and and experience his love and that unconditional, total, consistent love that is always there when it's in you, then it can be in you to give to others, and particularly our children. And then 1 John 4, 7, which I started to read. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It's not love is God, but God is love. God is love. That is the very foremost character of who God is, and from everything else God is, from his love and what his whole nature of love, everything else emanates. God is love. And there are people that struggle to experience that love. Some of us feel unworthy, undeserving, and often that that love must be earned. If we feel that for ourselves, we may project that onto our children. And they have to be worthy of our love. They have to deserve our love. They have to earn our love. And so we have to be very careful that we give this right and examine our hearts, that, that we're not withholding affirmation until there's a performance that pleases us but that we affirm and love our children unconditionally because of who they are, inherent worth of who they are because they are ours. Amen. <laughs> it's not that children don't do wrong and that they, they do require correction, but when we do correct, the love is never in question. And that has to be made so clear. So God's love to us is always consistent. God's love is never in question. And his love is even sacrificial, as we read in Ephesians chapter 5, 2. It's the kind of love that gives itself up. Any parent that has ever walked the floor with a crying baby all night long who's getting teeth understands giving yourself up. I wish I could be sleeping. I want some me time, but this is not it. (laughs) We give ourselves up. And God's love, showing this love of his, he's consistently present. He's always there. Even if we don't feel him or acknowledge him, he is there. And it's true that we don't have to feel God to know that he is real, but God wants you to know his presence. He wants you to sense that he is with you. And sometimes we just have to reach out a little bit in our faith and open ourselves up to it and say, God, you are the God who is near and not far. You are the God who is close and at hand. You are the God who doesn't reject me but loves me. And I sit under the sunshine of your grace and your love. And we need to do that regularly. He's not a God that's far or distant from us. The writer of Hebrews told the the people that he was writing to to not be overly concerned about their possessions or even fear that they might lack something because he said in chapter 13, verse 5, for he himself, speaking of God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we need to be absolutely established in this consistent presence of God. 
And when a child is settled in that consistent presence of God, then they're going to have a sense of security. Parental presence is absolutely essential and important. We cannot be 24-7 with our kids. Some parents are, but most of us can't. And people go out to work, have different things and responsibilities to do. And you don't even have the opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one time all the time. You know, that just sounds wonderful, but it's not always possible. But there are ways we can squeeze in times. It could be a ride in the car when you go out to do the errands. Uh, you could sit the toddler at the bench top. I'm now in the phase of grandmothering, and when all five are over, it's quite a juggle for me at my age to do that, but I'll put the baby in the high chair and sit her nearby, and I'll put one of the younger ones at the bench top while I'm cooking, and we talk and we chat, and we have time, and you know that presence, you know that's, that puts value into a child to tell them that, that you're there. And you know, the other thing that we can do in being present is to be emotionally available, to be present when we're present. You know, it's not just we're in the same room, but we're actually there, there's a connection, there's a, an exchange, there's, a, I'm listening to you while you speak. Active listening, that's something we all could do. And moving on to our second environment, so continual love or con uh, consistent love. The second thing is an environment of continual grace. It's not start, start and stop grace, it's continual grace. God is full of grace, and he described himself in this way to Moses when he passed before him in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. He said, the Lord... The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And he goes on to explain how when it comes to sin, it's still foremost part of his character is his compassionate grace. And God wants us to understand this about him. In Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God's grace and his graciousness is always something that we can count on. It's the truth that we live these lives on. If we did, we would be full of fear constantly that we're misstepping and we're missing it. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But on the other hand of that is God's grace. And we live in that. And it's something that we count on. We can be like the prodigal son, knowing in our heart that we have blown it big time. But we can go to the Father, and we know he will receive us. And that's how we're supposed to live our lives. And our children need to respect us, but they need not fear us in that way. If they fear us in a way like that, they could be forced to keep secrets and things that they are ashamed of that they probably should be telling us about and that we can pray through and talk through. I, I can give an example without giving any names because I have three children and they're all raised, but one of them, when they were a teenager, had done something that was really out of bounds and had, had uh, you know, against everything we had taught. And we had been away, and then when we came home, they could not wait to confess. They had to unburden themselves of this thing and say, Mom and Dad, I am so sorry. This is what I did. Will you please forgive me? And do you know what? They could do that because they knew we would. And that they did that, and that became the turning point of their life and in their walk towards the Lord and a full commitment to Jesus Christ. So be available. Be approachable. Be respected, but don't be feared. 
Make, it, make a place of grace. Make space for grace in your family so that your children know they can always come to you and they will find those arms open wide. They may share things that are hard to hear. They may disagree with you sometimes, but if they know they can talk to you and they'll be listened to, you have an opportunity for discourse. There are some cultures, and I don't make any judgment here, but some cultures that actually use shame as a way of deterring behavior. And if you just keep shame, then you keep separation. And that's the thing that God's broken down in our lives, that wall of shame and guilt. And so why should we use that in our homes? We cannot afford to do that. Children make mistakes, but we need to give them the grace to try again and, make them, and let it be able to learn from their mistakes. Now, I want to be clear that grace does not equal permissiveness. It doesn't mean that anything goes. Just go ahead and try everything and go out there and then figure it out for yourself. No, grace is not permissiveness. Grace is something that we consistently give, but we also give guidance to. In Proverbs chapter 29, 15, this leads me to my last point. It says, to discipline, a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. So we need to apply, part of grace is applying godly discipline when it needs to be given. And so that's one of the best ways to express the love and grace that we have is to administer purposeful discipline. So we provide this last point an environment, a purposeful discipline. And discipline is a good thing. That's not a bad word. And it's expressed throughout all the Bible. In fact, we call ourselves disciples, disciplined ones of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our goal from the time our children are born is for them to learn to take responsibility for themselves. From the time that they pick up their clothes off the floor and feed themselves and clean their room and every other step beyond that. It's for them to take responsibility for their lives. This is how we protect them, by preparing them for life. And they possess the inner know-how to do life for themselves. I love the Jewish culture tradition of the bar mitzvah, or for the girls, the bat mitzvah. At the age of 13, that child has now a knowledge of the law of God. Therefore, they are now morally responsible before God and man for themselves. 13. How long do we allow kids these days? And we say, oh, well, you know, whatever, and we just hover and helicopter and all that kind of stuff. But children from the age of 13, at least in Jewish culture, are considered capable of being responsible for themselves. And that requires an inner discipline, doesn't it? And before there can be an inner discipline, there sometimes has to be an external, outer discipline from parents. I know when we say the word discipline, often people think of the word smacking a child, and I'm not here to open that up and talk about that, but I do know that sometimes that can be done in anger as an angry response, and an angry response is not the same as purposeful discipline. It's just an angry response. It's a venting of your emotions, and you need to sit down and quiet down and pray and get the mind of the Lord and know what is the way I should discipline that child in the moment. Sometimes we have to save them out of a situation. I'm not saying that that's not important, but angry reaction is not purposeful discipline. Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. A child that's deeply loved and delighted in is a child that also receives correction from loving parents. 
God has a plan for each child's life, and as parents, we are the strategic people in their lives to help that plan unfold and direct them in that, into the ways of God. Proverbs 22, 6 says, direct your children into the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, when we read a scripture about fathers, you know that includes mothers. <laughs> but I think it's really pertinent that it's addressing to the fathers because if a father is present in the home, dads, your responsibility to lead the way is very, very important. And you help mom do her job in, in doing that. But you know, um, I just think of Timothy, who was the disciple of the Apostle Paul. He had a father, and they say his father was Greek. We just don't know how present or absent he was in the home. If he was, he certainly wasn't vital in the formation of that young man's life, because Paul gives credit to his mother and his grandmother, the female people in his life. The mother and grandmother were the ones that actually formed him spiritually. So what an important role to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. The discipline and the nurture of the Lord. Just as I close, I'll have the team come up to finish with me here. This is a this is a big word, and if you, if you look this up, you know I'm no big Bible scholar here, but I can read some definitions, and let me read them to you because I think they're really quite interesting. To bring a child up means the whole training and the education of the child, the cultivation of mind and morals, the commands and admonitions of scripture. It means reproof and punishment were necessary. It means the training and care of their bodies, the correction of their mistakes, and the curbing of passions. Now that's a tall order, isn't it? And that means that we have got to have all the equipping of the Holy Spirit to help us do that. And we need to have a holistic look at our children's lives and not just focus on one thing. Okay, I want to make them good at sport and I'm going to just give myself to that. But is that their whole life? You know, everything, their whole life, we, we bring them and direct them into the plan of God. We focus them. That would be another word for discipline. Focus them into the way that they should go and God help you and give you all the grace that you need to do this very important task. And when I finish today, I want to leave with you a blessing from the Lord for what you do, a blessing that God would make the environment of his love and life-giving spirit over your life. These are the words recorded in the book of Numbers chapter six. They'll come up on the screen and I love what precedes this because it says, the Lord said to Moses to tell Aaron and to tell his sons to bless the people with these words. This is a continual blessing that started way back in the book of Numbers and continues to this day. And I wanna speak it over your life. I'm gonna ask you to stand up and receive the blessing of the Lord. It's on the screens, but maybe you'll close your eyes. I just wanna read it to you and I pray it will just soak into your heart today that God would bless you in all that you do. The environment of his love and favor be over you. Are you ready? Here we are. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you 
and give you peace. Lord, I bless every person here today and particularly the mothers on this day. And I ask, Lord, your hand upon them, your wisdom upon them, your grace upon them for what they do. Lord, I pray that you help them in all the trials of their life. I pray when they don't have answers that, God, you will give them answers. I pray you'll speak into their life. I pray you encourage their hearts. I pray for mothers today whose hearts are heavy and burdened for their child or their children. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just ease that burden and you would give grace in this moment. You would give them strength. You would hear their prayers, Lord. You would answer the plea of their heart. And Lord, we just thank you that you have united us by your spirit, that your grace is upon us as a people. Lord, we thank you that we have your word to guide us and help us. And now we just thank you for all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.